In my work, I spend time with nonprofit boards working to to make my joy of fundraising contagious. I'll admit it, it's not always easy. I often begin with a pretty easy exercise. It's just an index card. I ask them to put down one word to describe how they feel about fundraising. What do you think is the word that comes up most often? Yep, terrifying, or a synonym of this word. Grown men and women, type A, high performers. Then I show them a slide of what terrifying looks like to me. And I have found this remarkable photo of Sully Sullenberger landing a 737 in the Hudson River. Now that is terrifying. I am not an alien being for enjoying the art and science of fundraising. There are others like me who really love fundraising, who love bringing money in the door, who love teaching folks how to be good at it. The art and science of asking for money is not a one-size-fits-all activity. Each of us has a different personality, and how you ask must be tailored to who you are as a person. Today, we help you figure out what is your asking style, and how do you make the most of it for the organization you care so deeply about. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy, Not Enough Money, Too Many Cooks and an Abundance of Passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. To answer this question, Brian Saber joins me today. He has spent his entire career asking for money for nonprofits, from his early days working telethons to university fundraising to life as an executive director. And he continues to hone that art today, cultivating and soliciting uh, select major donors for various clients. He's a sought-after trainer, coach, and consultant around the country and abroad. He develops major gifts programs, conducts campaign feasibility studies, creates training courses, and coaches top-level staff, taking organizations to the next level. What I believe many of our listeners will find really valuable is that Brian typically works with organizations having budgets under $10 million. With his co-founder, Andrea Kilstedt, Brian built Asking Matters, a web-based company at askingmatters.com that trains people how to ask for money and motivates them to do it well. Brian, I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Joan. I'm delighted to be here today. So um, when you were a kid, did you want to grow up to be a fundraiser? <laughs> That's funny. Because I, <laughs> it is funny for two reasons. One, uh, definitely not. Two, I ask that question whenever I train because no one grew up saying I want to be a fundraiser. I don't think. I've never met anyone who did. Did you? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, di- I didn't think so. Um, no one does. Even people who have fundraising parents uh, don't say, gee, I want to be like my mom or dad when I grow up and go into fundraising, <laughs> maybe into the nonprofit world, but right. not as a fundraiser. Definitely. So what did you, so actually, so um, what did you want to be when you were a kid? I'm curious. First, I wanted to be a veterinarian, Uh huh. which is funny because as an adult, I don't have an incredible love of animals like some people do. I don't even have a pet, but I wanted to be a veterinarian. <laughs> Then I wanted to be an architect, and as an aside, I went back to school in my 30s and got a degree in architecture, which I still haven't used. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and then I got to college, 
And I started working I for the school. I had a work-study job. And right. then I got really involved in uh, all sorts of student activities. I became a real big student leader. And I loved the sense of community, the sense of being together with others to make something happen, to do something above and beyond just in, enriching myself. And, and it, it just became a calling card to be in the nonprofit world. And that's what happened. And when I graduated from college, I said, I want to be in the nonprofit world. Didn't even know what that really meant uh, in terms of what I would do. Uh But that that was the environment in which I wanted to be. Um, So what do you... So there are so many people for whom fundraising, the word terrifying comes up, right? Clearly, you have chosen a line of work that speaks to your love of fundraising. What do you love about fundraising? Because I feel like if we could actually share that with people, maybe they'd actually get it. Well, (laughs) that's interesting because I just love what it does. I I fundraise... I fundraise because of the impact it has. I, I, it is fascinating, right? You learn a tremendous amount about people in, when you're in the field of fundraising because I think you learn more about people talking about their money, which in the context of everything else, than you do talking about anything else in their lives. Money is just so powerful in people's lives. And, and so I find that fascinating, but... Uh, but truly the, the actual physical fundraising, I don't particularly like, and in which, and I find I'm very similar to most people on boards, most executive directors, lots of people, and many people think who are professional fundraisers in that we do it because we care and we want to make the world a better place. And we figure out how to do it, uh, well, do it in a way that works for us. Because that's the role we can play in making the world better. So it's interesting. Um, Many listeners know that I spent 14 years in corporate America and a board decided to hire me to run a nonprofit organization with zero fundraising experience. Um, And they took a leap of faith that turned out to be um, a good one. But I find because I see fundraising as relationship building and we'll talk about that. I'm sure that, um, I just really love hearing people's stories and I love hearing and listening to people who are philanthropic talk about what they care about. Like it, it enriches me. And I, and I, and I also, to be really fair, I also find it a bit of a, um, It's a bit of a chess game, right? Is sort of trying to sort of a knot to untangle or a puzzle to put together of sort of what they care about. Does it actually fit with what I am, my organization? So there's, there's sort of a storytelling component to it. There's a strategy component to it. Like there's, there's a lot of things about fundraising that actually really sing out to me. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the case for me as well. Uh, I, I'm very curious about people. And I think to be a good fundraiser, you have to be. You have to want to get to know people and understand people and hear their stories. And I do love that. Uh, I, I And you, it is nice to be with people who are philanthropic all the time. I mean, if I could tell you a quick little story, it actually goes back to um, 
my undergraduate days in telephoning, it, it has to do with my, my college roommate. We went in very different directions. He became, uh, as we'd say in the old days, a slumlord where he bought buildings in really bad neighborhoods and mm-hmm. would run them. And, and he would go to collect the rent and such. And he carried a gun to go do his job. And I, at the time he did that, I was sitting in um, in private clubs in downtown Chicago having lunches and meetings with these wonderfully interesting, articulate, experienced <laughs> people. Two completely different worlds, and I could never have been in his. And, and I really did enjoy getting to know people. And to your point about the puzzle figuring out how to connect them to the institution, what they liked, uh, how to treat them, to bring them closer and make this an excellent philanthropic experience all around. Because this isn't about twisting arms, as we know, and it's in the end very little about the ask. It's about the relationship and people Mm -hmm. wanting to come forward because they're enthusiastic about the organization and they're enjoying the relationship with you. And those can't be separated. So... I asked you to join me today because I think you have a very unique approach to fundraising training and for helping people to overcome some of their own insecurities and objections. Um, uh, And you have developed uh, what you call key asking styles. You've also developed kind of an assessment to figure out where somebody falls and then strategies for each style. So I I don't want to... Um, I don't want to miss the opportunity to dig into that. So let's get to it. And can you walk you can you walk our listeners through them briefly? Sure. We we came to these, uh, and you mentioned Andrea Kielstead, my co-founder at the beginning. We came to the asking styles because we felt for most people in the field, they're not going to be these super expert. 24-hour-a-day fundraisers, right? Yes, the head of fundraising for a university, a hospital, whatever, this is a career fundraiser. But so many of the fundraisers in the field are new to it, are do it part-time. You've got board members who constantly struggle, and almost every organization is trying to figure out how to get them more involved. You have executive directors who came to the role, as you mentioned, and this is how I came to fundraising. I became an executive director with no fundraising experience as well. And we have to learn. And um, what the heck are we doing? The two of us telling people (laughs) listening out there (laughs) how to fundraise. Well, you know, because we know how we learned how we learned learned on the ground, right? We learned by doing, and then maybe we took a course or maybe we read material and we did what people listening to this podcast are doing is it, 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 we we figure it out, right? We, yeah. we figured it out by listening to others and, and by doing it. And so the what we realized is, you know, we can say there is absolutely one way to do this start to finish. There is one way to make your case. There is one way to set up the meeting and so forth. But that, uh, that doesn't take into account our own personality, which for almost all of us is going to be very important. There are probably some people who can simply do it by the book. You tell me what to do, I will do it exactly that way. But that's not how the nonprofit world works, Right. where most of the people asking are not experts in asking. Mm-hmm. So, so we came up with this idea of the styles that 
that we have different personalities and if we can ask in our own style, it, we can be more comfortable and more effective. And we based it on two characteristics, uh, how you interact with people, are you extroverted or introverted? And how do you think? Are you analytic or intuitive? And we came up with four styles called Rainmaker, Go-Getter, Kindred Spirit, and Mission Controller. And each has its own personality. Now, no one fits cleanly in one box or another. And in fact, that assessment you referred to, uh, which is 30 true-false questions, will give you a primary and a secondary asking style because there is a nuance there. So it's but, kind of like the Zodiac. You have like a something with a, with a rising something else, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so primarily this and secondarily that. So do you want to take me through each of the four of them briefly? Sure. So we start with the rainmaker, the analytic extrovert. This is that classic fundraiser. When people think fundraiser, they think of this person who's goal-oriented, driven, uh, fact-oriented, sees that goal and nothing stops. That person, that person wants to succeed. And when people think fundraiser, they think that everyone is like this, right? Now, these are great qualities for fundraising, but not the only qualities. So the go-getter is the, a, the intuitive extrovert, the bigger personality who makes friends easily, very comfortable meeting new people, enjoys meeting new people, uh, thinks outside the box, has some vision, uh, and can talk in loftier terms. And then we have the kindred spirit. I'm a kindred spirit. I'm an intuitive introvert. We tend to be feelings-oriented which can make us conflict-diverse. Uh, we're generally thoughtful, aware, selfless. We're interested in what the other person thinks and what would make the other person happy. And, of course, great skills for fundraiser. And then we've got the mission controller, the analytic introvert who is, uh, who is planful and systematic and methodical and always gets the job done and does things according to a process and is also a very good listener. Uh, the best listener of the styles. So those are the four asking styles, and uh, they give us a roadmap for you know, who we are and how we might uh, perform and what we might need each step of the way that we're asking. So you've got the rainmaker, the go-getter, mm -hmm. the kindred spirit, and the mission controller. Yes. And um, there isn't... A correct answer, is there? No, there isn't. And, and in general, when people get the result, they say, oh, that sounds like me. Um, at the end of the day, it's your roadmap. So if you think you're A, whatever we say, you're going to act as A, and that's what you would follow. Um, though generally, we're in sync. Um, and depending on the situation, we may be more or less of something but we are who we are and, and and it's not a matter of changing who we are but working is there an ideal kind of um so you, you know we talk about the you know the zodiac sign with the rising moon right is there an ideal like the most effective fundraisers are rainmaker or you know full-on rainmakers with a secondary style of a kindred spirit so that they have a touch because what you, well, the way you described a rainmaker um, sounded more transactional 
and less relational. And maybe I'm reading that wrong. And is it good for a rainmaker to have a dose of, you know, sort of that intuitive piece to offset the, my job is to get across the goal line? Yes, it, it certainly does. As with anything in life, you, the more uh, extreme is not really the right word, but to to one end of a spectrum you are, the more challenging it is for you to act in a variety of situations. Um, so as I said, we all have a little bit of everything in us, right? No one is completely analytical and never uses their gut and no one just uses their gut. I mean, there, there, there's a little something there, right? And sometimes you have to bring out a bit more of it. Um, one of the interesting things about the styles is it allows you to think about who you might partner with who complements your style. So well, me smart. being a kindred spirit, the rainmakers diagonally across from me, that's an ideal for me because that person is going to bring much more of the analytic than I will and more of the extroversion, which is great in terms of being comfortable with new people, comfortable opening the conversation, whereas that that's not my strength. And I bring to it more of the touchy-feely because I'm a kindred spirit and intuitive. Right. And I tend to be quieter in the meetings because I'm an introvert. So I listen more. You know, it's very hard to talk and listen at the same time. And I've heard that. If I, <laughs> and if I'm with an extrovert who's doing more of the talking, I can watch the meeting strategically. That gets back to what you said at the beginning. I like the strategic part of the meeting and I get to see how it's unfolding and insert myself where necessary, you know, turning the conversation around and such. As a matter of fact, my most successful fun asking partner, I've been asking with him for 25 years, Ron Manderscheid out in, at the uh, Northwestern University Settlement House in Chicago, he's a go-getter. And so we don't really bring the analytic side, but we balance each other in terms of extrovert, introvert, and we joke that he can go long, he can talk a lot, and it's up to me to, if possible, kick him under the table or give him <laughs> some sort of googly eyes so he knows to go on. And we've really learned, we, we did that intuitively, probably because we're intuitives for years, and then the asking styles came about, we realized, oh, that's who we are, and that's why we work together so well. It's uh, such a smart idea, I think, uh, and I also think the idea of a partnership is smart for two reasons. One is you get two sets of eyes and ears and perspectives. Uh, and, and secondly, for exactly the reason that you're talking about is that, you know, um, I used to joke that my, um, my development director, um, if she could ask for the gift while she was checking her coat, she would do it just to get it out of the way. <laughs> And she found it enormously frustrating that I would not begin an ask until the cappuccino was plated because it gave me all that time not to speak, although I did probably did a fair amount of speaking, but also to really listen, to be curious, to ask questions, to affirm what I was thinking in terms of how much to ask for, whether it was a good fit, right? But if you ask at coat check, you know, you miss all of that time. And so the complementary partnership is a security blanket as well as, I think, a sort of a strategic move on the part of people. And I, I think that oftentimes board members think that they're being asked to go out by themselves on their right. own to ask somebody for money. And that's, 
you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I like to fundraise and that's, that's not comfortable for me. Right. No, it's true. Uh, almost every ask can be done with a partner and is more enjoyable and can be more successful. I think we don't talk enough actually about partnering in the field. And I'm talking a lot about it now because of the asking styles. I always did partner, but now I'm, 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 teaching more about it because I think it can be very effective and very helpful for those who uh, are new, are concerned about it, feel they only have a certain skill set. You really get to build your uh, confidence and and your repertoire by well, working also, with someone else. There's also something else that's really, really interesting that organizations lose sight of often which is creating an institutional relationship with the donor, right? And so if I'm the person who goes out and asks and I don't bring you with me, right? Let's say you're, you know, uh, right? I have one relationship. If That's I bring right. someone else, I have two. And the more touch points a donor has with an organization, the much more likely that relationship is to stick. That's right. And when we're talking about board members, the big challenge here, right, is getting our board members out, make helping them be strategic and such. And if if we ask our board members to go out and you know, solicit everyone you know, a lot of, uh, and of course, a lot of those gifts are quid pro quo gifts. The, there are so many problems with those gifts, including what you just referred to, because the whole relationship resides in the board members' hands. And look, board members don't stay forever. So Every time a board member leaves, then all those relationships leave with the board member right. because they were just quid pro quo and there was no other interaction. So the, in a way, the last thing you want is for a board member to go out on his or her own. You, It would be much more successful if board members always partnered with someone else from the institution to build that connection. And, same and same is true with executive directors as well, certainly, especially yes. if you have charismatic uh, executive directors and they're the people that the donors really want to meet with. Bringing someone along um, really does help to institutionalize the relationship. Right. Um, and relationship so is what okay. it's all about, right? Indeed. Relation. It's all about relationship. And I think if people could understand that even in a meeting where you're asking, it's almost entirely about relationship. I will leave money on the table any day if it would, if it will put the relationship at risk. Completely right? true. I, it, Completely so, true. And when so, you think about it as relationship, then you really need to take into account all these things we're talking about. Exactly. So we're talking with Brian Saber, sought after trainer, coach, and consultant around the country and abroad. He develops major gifts programs, conducts campaign feasibility studies, um, and works uh, to bring uh, nonprofits largely under $10 million budget size to the next level. You can learn more about courses, memberships, and he's got a lot and a lot of really great ones, as well as resources at askingmatters.com. Um, and we're delighted to have him here talking about this notion of um, fundraising as not a one-size-fits-all. Um, so... I hope you didn't cheat, Brian. I took your test. Okay. All right. And I okay. want you to, um, this is not something, that, so I want you to guess, based on the conversation we've had, where would you put me in terms of asking styles? See if you can guess. <laughs> okay. Well, 
first of all, if you're if you're not an an extrovert, no one is. I mean, you have to be <laughs> you have to be on the extroverted side. There's no question about that. Not just from this conversation, but I know you a little bit. If right. you're not there, no one is. So I'm. So that's a definite. And my and and you're totally above the line. You're totally extrovert. I just can't imagine. So the question is, what's your balance between analytic and intuitive? If you're more analytic, right. you're rainmaker primarily, secondarily go-getter. If you're more intuitive, go-getter than rainmaker. So, and it's interesting because so much of you is go-getter, but you're also incredibly goal-oriented and I don't know if driven's the word, but you really keep your eye on the prize. You know, as I've gotten to know you as a consultant and peer in the field, I'm envious of some of your ability to drive things forward, which says rainmaker. At the same time, I see the big go-getter in you. So I don't know which ones, I don't think I know you well enough to know which one's primary, but I I would be floored if you had any mission control or a kindred spirit in you. Well, That's all I can say. Okay, so so, so good. You did well. <laughs> Uh, you did well, okay. and um, uh, and I. Um, <clears throat> this is supposed to be an interview with you, so let's try to get back to you. Although it was fun to talk about me for a minute, I am a rainmaker with a secondary style of go-getter, um, and uh, so we you were you were totally right. Partners, yes, we would be totally. Great partners to ask, totally. Because I'm primarily kindred spirit and secondarily mission controller, so we will have all four boxes covered. So what's you really cool about this, talking, right? What's and I'll really, listen. Yeah. And what's, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm trying to talk now and I'm interviewing you, right? So you can see, see? it. See? Um, um, so what's great about this assessment tool, and I really do encourage you to go to askingmatters.com. It's a great exercise to do with your board. Just to like put people into a particular spot and let them own who they are and be good at fundraising based on who they are, right? So it says, I'm great at keeping my eye on the prize. I'm strategic from start to finish. I'm undaunted by rejection. But my challenges, and this is what I like about your asking styles, is I can be impatient with others who don't get it. Um, So when somebody tells me they're not going to give money because their kitchen renovation took way more money than they thought, (laughs) like that bothers me. Um, I have a tendency to talk too much and that sometimes I don't listen closely enough to what others say. Um, And so having a kindred spirit with me would make all the difference in the world. Okay, Um, well, let's go out and uh, solicit someone. So uh, a couple of last questions because we're almost out of time. Um, Best advice you can provide to an executive director who is trying to get a board more engaged in fundraising other than hiring you. (laughs) <laughs> or you. Um, it, can I give just one or no, can I, I give did. two? You can give two. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start with the no brainer one, though it's worth reinforcing it again and again and again. Board members need training. It doesn't matter how successful they are in their lives. We bring them on because they're so smart, so successful, so this, so that. Fundraising is different. Most of them have not done the type of fundraising we want them to do, which is more significant gift work with cultivation and face-to-face work and asking. And we don't, we don't train them and we send them out there. And it's a big mistake. We wouldn't send, if we had a mental health clinic, we wouldn't 
ask board members to provide counseling without experience, without learning how to do it, right, and being appropriate to the task. And for some reason, even though fundraising is really important and it's not an easy thing, we send them out without any training. Big mistake. So training, training, and that's ongoing training. It's not just one board retreat a year, but giving people the opportunity to practice, to, t- to make their case, to feel comfortable talking about the institution and such. That's the w- first one. Okay. And the second one, which is, this is my soapbox and my one, my, my, my one wish for the nonprofit world. And it's stop asking them to hit up everyone they know. The quid pro quo fundraising is terrible. Asking people to invite everyone they know to events or sending out these end of year letters and all this stuff is a killer. It, every board member hates it, just about. Um, as I said earlier, all those gifts are going to leave with that board member because there's no relationship. The right. board member is stuck making quid pro quo gifts to most of his or her friends and family's organizations. Uh, and and then you have all of those interpersonal issues between your board members and their and their donors because the donor didn't give as much or isn't giving it all. There's all this stuff, right? And it's not strategic. So, so my, I say focus them on four prospects, maybe not even their own. Some people may not have a good prospect, someone who can make what you consider a major gift, a gift worth the time and effort, right? And if they don't, you as an executive director or, or director of development, you've got a big list of people who aren't getting enough attention, who could be cultivated for more. I'd sooner, uh, assign my board members to someone else someone else we're cultivating at the institution than have them try to drag along someone who's a friend of theirs who they're going to have to lean on. It just doesn't make sense. So so that's, yeah, I mean, my one wish would be for every board member to sit on one board. Well, this is because this is another issue. Sometimes sit on one board, give 75% of all your charitable gifts to that organization. So you will feel like an investor in it because you're giving now so much money to the one as opposed to spreading it around and only be involved in this strategic long-term work, which then you're going to be much more interested in doing because now you're really investing in the organization. That's my, that's my one wish. And that would really get board members more involved in fundraising. Well, uh, I am um, really happy that you shared your soapbox with our <laughs> listeners today. And this one board and I mean, all, all the things that you said are just so, so smart is, uh, just so smart. And I wish we had more time to continue talking, but, um, as I like to say, people are probably finished on the elliptical machine by now, or they have actually (laughs) just pulled into their parking spot at work. And so our work here is done for today, Brian. Um, I'm really grateful that you're here, and I hope that my listeners here took away this notion of this asking styles and really started to think more creatively and strategically about how to get their boards involved in fundraising. And Brian has offered some excellent advice, as well as this 
excellent tool at askingmatters.com. Um, he does workshops. He does. He has a, a membership site, um, and uh, he is just a, a really terrific resource um, for all of you out there that are attempting to grow the scope and impact of your work. And I, I want to just get back to one thing that Brian said at the beginning. Fundraising is ultimately a means to an end, although it is a grammatically incorrect sentence, money equals programs. And if board members and, you know, even staff members and volunteers keep their eye on that prize, the asking becomes easy because it is the clients and the people that you advocate for that really are the winners in, in, in all of this. So Brian, thank you very much for joining us. You can always find me at joangary.com. That's G-A-R-R-Y.com. And um, these podcasts are come out every other week on iTunes. They're called Nonprofits Are Messy. Tell your friends. Again, these are resources that are available to help you to be more effective in the work that you do um, in making the world and your little piece of it just a little bit, uh, just a little bit better. So thanks very much, and we'll talk to you next time. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com. 